Thanks for listening to the nice podcast. I'm Dave Delaney. If you haven't noticed, we've taken a little bit of a hiatus over the last several months. Uh, A big revelation was found. I have ADHD, and that explains a whole lot. And of course, naturally, as a veteran podcaster, I started another podcast all about it, and it's called ADHD Wise Squirrels, and you can find it at wisequirrels.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search ADHD Wise Squirrels. Pop over and have a listen. Let me know what you think. Thanks. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be to be. Nobody wakes up in the morning motivated and inspired to worry about hitting a quarterly number or a quarterly result or an annual number. And so the things that can seem really important to the boss because it affects their bonus and their comp plan yeah, nobody else cares. They're getting up, coming to work because they want it to mean something. They want it. They want to feel like they matter. They want to feel like what they do makes a difference. Nice, 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 nice with Dave Delaney. Welcome to the Nice Podcast, all about communication, collaboration, and becoming better leaders. I'm your host, Dave Delaney from FutureForth.com, where we help fast-growing tech companies retain talent and improve culture so you have happier, more connected teams. Today, I'm speaking with Randy Powell, business leader and host of the awesome Lessons in Leadership show uh, with Randy Powell, of course. Randy, welcome, and thank you for being here. Hi, Dave. It's awesome to talk to you again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had me on your your show last time, so now we are uh, on the other side of the microphones, so to speak. Yeah, I, I'm, it's uh, weird on this side. I'm used to asking the questions. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes. Well, you know, it, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Easy peasy. <laughs> awesome. So I like to start every episode with the question, what's the nicest thing someone has done for you recently? Wow. There's uh, there's so many, um, you know, uh, particularly, uh, you know, Kansas City is a great community. There's so many people in the business community that look out for each other and help each other and create opportunities for each other. Um, you know, uh, last week uh, spoke over at uh, Rockhurst University and people were just so kind and nice and encouraging and it just makes you feel good when you spend time with people and talk a little bit about the lessons from your journey and they're just appreciative of it it, it really makes you uh, feel good that's great what was the event that you were speaking at or were you speaking for a class or yeah their their uh, executive mba class of uh had a couple of opportunities to go there and speak with the folks that are in that class and they're just 
eager to hear about the experiences of other business leaders as they are, you know, plotting out the future of their careers and their own entrepreneurial journey and their leadership journey. Um, it's awesome. It's something I wish I'd had earlier in my career to have a chance to hear experienced leaders come in and, and talk to you about what they've experienced and what they've learned along the way. It's, uh, it's really cool. And, and so they do a nice job over there of bringing in, uh, other leaders from around town that have, um, have different leadership journeys and just give you an opportunity to learn from those as you, create your own path and your own identity and the kind of leader you want to be. I think it's really cool that they do that. Yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah, I'm actually doing, I'm speaking for uh, a college here in Nashville next week as well. So, and I, uh, yeah, you're right. I absolutely love it. What was a question that you might've gotten or maybe a consistent question you received from the students? You know, they, these students are all, you know, mid-career, uh, and there were a lot of questions really around something that you spend a lot of time on, uh, culture and the great resignation and how to, uh, recruit and build teams in this environment. And so, uh, the things that you've been interested in, they're interested in as well because it affects their ability to, uh, both grow in their career and build a team and build the kind of culture that they think would be attractive to folks. Yeah, that's interesting. That's that's really interesting. Who who was someone that was especially nice to you in your career? You know, mostly uh, I would say as I look back, um, yeah, you probably remember all the bad bosses and bad people more <laughs> because you're uh, you're you're scarred and there's never enough therapy. But uh, right. <laughs> uh, you know the the people who worked for me, you know, particularly in some of my last roles, my leadership roles, the people who would take all my crazy ideas and run with them and develop them and sell them and make them happen and turn them into reality. That was awesome to have a team of people that you like to get up every morning and go to work with, uh, that you just felt like you were really aligned on a sense of purpose in what the organization was trying to accomplish. And that was, that was a lot of fun. Those, those experiences, with that, particularly at my last job, I just had a team that you loved to be with, and and that made every day really enjoyable. Even the bad days were good days because you liked the people you were going to battle with. Yeah, it really does help to work with awesome people. That's that's a big part of this for sure. I mean, employee retention is definitely improved when you're working with friends and, and good people. So you mentioned actually when I said, you know, when I asked the question, who is someone that was especially nice to you in your career, you did mention, you know, some of the, the, the bad <laughs> bosses that, you, that will remain <laughs> nameless, of course. But what are some, what are some takeaways that you learned from those bad experiences? Again, not naming any names. Well, you know, I I think what I've taken away from it is nobody wakes up in the morning motivated and inspired to worry about hitting a quarterly number or a quarterly result or an annual number. And so the things that can seem really important to the boss because it affects their bonus and their comp plan, um, yeah, nobody else cares. They're getting up, coming to work because they want it to mean something. They want it. To, they want to feel like they matter. <laughs> they want to feel like what they do makes a difference. And that whole, uh, hey, this is the most important quarter ever. Let's work really hard and hit this result. It doesn't motivate and inspire people. It didn't motivate and inspire me. I was looking for other things that gave me a sense of purpose and 
the longer I've spent in my career, I learned that I wasn't alone, that most people didn't really care about that that much. And definitely not when you do it for quarter 40 or quarter 50, you know, if you've been at 10 or 12 years of it, it just wears thin. So you've got to give people something that matters more than just, I want to maximize my bonus this year. Because that wasn't um, that wasn't ever particularly inspiring to anybody I worked with. Now, for those good bosses that you had, those inspiring bosses, what did they do different that would make that make you as part of the team more eager to uh, to help hit those goals? They have a clearer sense of purpose about you know what it is that this organization does that makes a difference in. Uh, our community and uh, people's lives, you know, why do we do what we do other than just generating a profit? You know, it comes back to that whole, uh, you know, what matters most? Was it the shareholder? You'll see places where, you know, uh, offering a, a superior shareholder return is our value. <laughs> yeah, your, your people don't get geeked out about that. Uh, it really starts, and I think a lot of the organizations I see that do a really good job of building a sense of team. It starts with, I got to have a team that, that comes first and then the customers are going to come after that. And then all of that turns into a result on the scoreboard that creates a shareholder return. But if you go at that backwards, like everything is about the financial result and the team is interchangeable, uh, that, that didn't create ever a healthy culture that I found. And you were sort of thrust from accounting and finance roles earlier on into leadership. You know, you, you led over, you know, two construction companies kind of early on in your career. Uh, so how did, how did that come to be? You know, that's interesting because I was very hands on in my accounting career. I like to go out and go to these construction projects all over the world and, and crawl all over them and try and understand what we were doing because I felt like I could account for it better and talk about the result better if I actually knew what we did. So just sitting in the office and, and looking at spreadsheets uh, didn't do it for me. I wanted to go out there and touch it and be in the factory and be on the construction sites. And and after a few years, one of our uh, um, segment presidents who I'd built a relationship with, he had come in and he said, I think you've been on more projects than I have. And I, uh, I said, probably I, I like to go spend time on these. So I know you've formed opinions about what you would do different. I think you could run this company someday. And I'm like, well, that's kind of a cool idea. And he's like, let's start getting you ready. I want you to go run construction. And, and I said, that's nuts. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and he said, just, just build a team and lead a team. You'll, I don't need you to know construction. I need you to know how to build a team and lead a team. And so I was like, Okay, this seems risky, <laughs> but and if I was you, I wouldn't do this. Uh, but let's uh, let's jump out of the plane and make it work. And so I was immediately, you know, all your accounting career it was really reliant on technical skills. I don't I don't have to be likable. I just have to be really really smart at at the uh, at, at the accounting rules. And and the rules are the rules. And so it doesn't matter if you like me. These are the rules. Now I was in a leadership role with. A bunch of, with everybody knew more about what they did than I did. And so it was all going to be about leading and motivating and inspiring people. And that's really 
you know, what became the predecessor to lessons in leadership as I was traveling around the country, I was just meeting anybody I could and asking them about their journey. How did you start this company? How do you build a team? What did you learn along the way? Because I wanted to know what other people knew and then come back and share that with my team to try and inspire them because I couldn't tell them how to do their job better than they already knew how. I just needed to try and motivate them to do a really, really good job and to believe in it. That must have been an interesting sort of juxtaposition versus, you know, being in accounting first and finance where, as you just mentioned, like numbers are numbers, right? They're, they're it, it, you know, it, it has to add up one way or, you know, it doesn't add up more, more ways than one. You don't, you're not going to get different answers where with feelings and with sentiment and with humans that you're dealing with, um, it's not the same thing for each type of person, you know, so. How do you kind of bring a team together that that's that are more sort of cohesive and on the same page? You know, it's um, really about playing to their strengths and finding what motivates and inspires them uh, and making the pieces all add together. So there's a component to that, which I spent a good bit of time over the years on studying emotional intelligence and understanding uh, each individual. Because if you try to create a team of clones that are just like you, then your strengths are multiplied and your weaknesses are multiplied. So what I learned was I wanted a bunch of people who were good at the things I wasn't good at. You know, so I've got a creative side and I can go draw crazy ideas on a napkin or on the whiteboard. (laughs) And then my attention span is really short, so I'm on to the next thing. And so I need to surround myself with, good people that were good at the things I wasn't good at, the uh, the operational side and the engineering side and the execution side. And uh, and so what, what I wanted to do was find people that all uh, offset my weaknesses and, and offset each other's strengths and weaknesses. So you built a puzzle out of people that are all very complementary to each other. Yeah, that's fantastic. Do you think in the, in the sort of recruiting side of, of things while you're bringing on team members – were you doing like a, like a, you know, a personality assessments and things like that to kind of get a handle of where their strengths are versus, you know, your own? I did. You know, we did over the years, you know, the discs, the Myers Briggs, the Colbys, you know, and the, and they all have a different slant to them. And none of them are uh, wondrous and magical other than that they just help you figure out each individual on how they help you understand them. They understand you and how you can work together and fit those pieces together in a complementary way. There's not a right profile or a wrong profile. It's just your profile. It's who you are. Now, how can we take what's good about that? And one, make sure you're in the kind of role that really fits what you enjoy doing and what motivates and inspires you to do and then also surround you with other people that their personality profile is complementary to that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it makes a lot of sense because you need to make sure that, as you said, like you're surrounding yourself with with people who have different strengths as well. So that way you're all not just, yeah, you're, you're all just not doing the same thing. Uh, otherwise, you wouldn't get too far ahead. As far as emotional intelligence, you know, you said you read up on some of that. Were there books or 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 thought leaders in the, the EI space that you uh, you learned from? Some of both. I, um, 
I remember bringing uh, Colleen Stanley in to present on emotional intelligence in the selling process. So she came in and spoke a couple of times. Uh, we read her book, I'm trying to think of other different books that I did over the years. You know, we tried to come up with ways that made that very practical and not, uh, you know, overly wonky, but, yeah. and, and theoretical, but like, what can I use and apply? to the way I'm doing my job and the way I'm meeting customers or meeting with uh, team members, meeting with vendors. How can I make this really real? And so we would always, you know, after we had a speaker or a book, we would try to spend, you know, 8, 10, 12 weeks, get together once a week and talk about it. You know, how did you make this? How did you use this week? This week? How did you apply this to what you did? Uh, so it wasn't just, you know, so many of us, you know, over the years have been to these, you know, corporate trainings where you go in, you endure the day, and then you flush, rinse, and repeat and do the next one. And they're just like, they're not, nothing sticks, you know. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, you and your role, you know, coaching and counseling and, and teaching, or you want some of it to stick. And so the, the repetitive nature of that, of can you take what you come in and teach and then ingrain that into the behavior where it sticks, that's that's really something that's important to do. It is. Yeah. One thing I do, I, lo uh, I don't always do it I w and I should do it more often than I used to do it more often, which is when I read a nonfiction book, I take a lot of notes within the book or within the Kindle, uh, depending on the format. And then after writing, after reading the, the book, I, I transcribe those notes into a blog post and I use that blog post to kind of regurgitate what I learned from the book. So that way it's not like in one ear out the other, so to speak, but you're kind of, it helps you retain the information I find. And then it's also providing value to uh, my friends, fans, followers and the like, so that they, they can also learn from, from my little notes version and hopefully pick up the book as well. Yeah. That's, that's a great uh, tactic. My books on my bookshelf over here are all uh, stuffed full of, Southwest napkins or, uh, you know, 3M notes or, or whatever. It's like, as I'm reading, it's like, okay, I want to come back to this page later. So I just stick slips of paper in whatever's handy, whatever airplane I'm on. And then I can go back and pull that out later and, and, and go back to that because they stick. Well, yeah. And I like the fact that you mentioned, you know, taking, sketching out ideas on, on napkins and using napkins in that way as well. I think of, uh, you know, Southwest Airlines story and how that was actually conceived on the back of a napkin as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Pretty cool. So in I think it was 2019, right? You started your own company and then you like you acquired is it uh, Heathland uh, Print and Design? Is that right? Heartland. Excuse Heartland. me. Heartland. Yes. Heartland. Mm -hmm. My my own typos. Uh, tell me about that, like that process of kind of going out on your own here and also through the process of an acquisition. Well, in the, uh, you know, the last few years there, uh, leading that Marley business, uh, I had, you know, five patents that where I'd sketched crazy ideas on a napkin and then the team would go design them and we'd go do them and, and they would work, you know, <laughs> it was yeah. amazing. And, and so I could just dream up crazy stuff and everybody would go do it and we would sell it. And people would say, Oh, you're this entrepreneur. You're this, you're this cowboy. You're this gambler. And I'd be like, it was somebody else's money. It wasn't really my money. <laughs> so it didn't really, didn't really feel like a huge gamble to me. The worst thing that would happen was I would get fired and I wasn't really scared of that. So uh, it started to gnaw on me that I want to go out there and prove that I actually would do this stuff. If it was my money. 
you know, rather than just, you know, some big corporation's money. And so that was just something that was in my head I needed to do. It really started to, to formulate around 2015 that I wanted to do that at some point in time. And I kept trying to think about how I would make that leap and make that happen. And by the beginning of 19, I said, this is the year I'm going to go do that. So at the end of the year, I'm going to leave. And I started looking at businesses to buy. Uh, spent quite a bit of time throughout 19 looking at different deals. Uh, the one that I ended up closing, that uh, print and design business, it, it wasn't what I was pursuing at the time. It sort of just fell in my lap late in the year uh, because the owners needed to sell it for some personal reasons. And it was in the town where I lived. And so it was a nice little starter deal to try out. And so uh, I did that deal while I uh, closed out where I was. And and then uh, right after I closed that deal, COVID happened. And so uh, make a note of that. Don't buy a business the month before the world closes. That wasn't the uh, the yeah. best deal to uh, to do. But the team there endured it. They found other things to do to stay busy as, as COVID happened and uh, slowed down a lot of their core business. But they found other things to offset that. And they've they've survived it and continued on. The, uh, the other deals I was working on at the time, uh, all ground to a halt as everybody was sent home, and so those never closed. Now I'm back looking at at other ones that uh, that come up, and the right thing will happen. You can do you can do a bad deal fast. The the key is to be patient and disciplined, and identify what makes sense for you, and and do the right kind of deal. So continue to look at other things that come along. Yeah, that's a good point too about doing the wrong deals of avoiding <laughs> that. Like for example, I had the the good fortune of catching up with an old uh, old friend who's now a CEO of a tech company, and he asked me to to uh, speak for his team. And this came along really quickly. And, and I went, yes, of course, I'm going to do it. Yes, for sure. And I'll get you an invoice and agreement and all the, all the things. And then I realized, uh, let's slow down a little bit here. Because, you know, as much as I would love to sign the deal, I really need to be able to make sure that what I provide is going to help him and and his his uh, his his team as well. It's not that I'm confident I can help them, but I wanted to get some more information before I said yes for sure. So I I wrote wrote him today actually and just said, "Hey, let's push this out at least a couple weeks while we talk and, and schedule a call to find out exactly you know what those challenges are specifically, so I can make sure that the workshop and the training that I develop." will be in sync with, with, you know, and, and help him with that return on investment of, of working with me. And, uh, so yeah, I think it's an important thing to kind of slow down a little bit before, uh, you know, when, when something, when you're not a hundred percent yet, uh, just slow down a little and, uh, take a breather. You know, it's, it's a great point. And when you're an optimistic person at heart and a confident person at heart you think you can do anything. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and so, and so saying no, probably isn't first nature for you and 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 so for folks like you and like me you know you want to just think i'm just going to jump in it and i'll figure it out and so giving yourself some discipline to your approach no matter what that is on the opportunities that come your way uh, you don't want to be so disciplined uh, that it turns into fear and paralysis but you do want to make sure that what you're doing fits you know who who you want to be where you want to be what you think maximizes your impact and, uh, you know, you mentioned COVID. How have you handled uh, your business during during the pandemic? My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. 
Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Yeah, you know, I've got the um, the two. I'm, I'm running a manufacturing business up in Lenexa, and then I own the print business here in Lewisburg, and it's been really uh, the same things I talk to other business leaders around town Um yeah, adapt, flex, find new ways uh, to serve your customers, and then also make sure you're finding new ways to build a team. That's definitely changing in this environment. Uh, the things people are willing to do or interested in doing are different, and so you need to be able to adapt those rigid old models of, you know, the good old days two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> they, they aren't they aren't coming back anytime soon. So you're going to have to be very flexible, both externally and internally. Um, you know, so like for example, the print business they adapted to other things they could do for people. You know, things that maybe they hadn't done in the past. But you had all kinds of new business emerge that wasn't in their in their old business. But people needed you know social distancing signs and curbside pickup signs and things like that. So they put a lot of focus in those kinds of areas. Because maybe the business that they were in of companies that were printing out brochures and taking them out and handing them out when they see customers, well, when everybody's at home, you're not going out and doing that that much anymore. So some of that business diminished, you replaced it with other things that, that were able to offset. And so I think uh, the same thing with the manufacturing business. A lot of the challenges there are really around supply chain and uh and people you know that's really your two big challenges the supply chain and people and so what can you do to be a creative and flexible and and address those new challenges that have come out of the last two years of covid yeah and is that uh, you're talking about united rotary brush is that right yes mm-hmm. yeah yes mm-hmm. so and, and it's so have there been changes that you've made in order to you know as far as manufacturing goes and you know there's there's that's a very hands-on and, and printing for that matter is very hands-on. So, you know, you, you, you just can't do that working from home, of course. Um, but then as far as, you know, team members, maybe in, in sales or marketing or something who, who may want to work from home, how have you handled that sort of, have, have you, you know, encouraged people to come back to the office? Are you doing more hybrid? What, what sort of stuff have you been doing? It's, it's a lot of hybrid um, and, and I think that's here to stay. I think you're going to need to have that kind of flexibility for the roles that allow it. And so, you know, your, your sales, your customer service, your accounting, you know, there's a lot of these roles that 
you don't have to see each other at the coffee pot every single day. That being said, you do need to see each other some. Yes. <laughs> and so you do need to be able to build some kind of culture and need the ability to bring people together some. I, I've been surprised at, uh, you know, just to minimize the risk of COVID spreading through the office. I've been trying to encourage people to work from home and alternate days and they just keep showing up because they like to be together, which I think is kind of cool, <laughs> yeah. but it's also like, okay, well, I don't want everybody to get COVID at the same time either. So force yourself to spread out. Uh, but so it's, it's awesome to see that, that the team wants to be a team. And I think people do have a longing for that, but they've also learned in the last two years that there is nice to have that flexibility. And so, design jobs as much as you can to be able to accommodate that. Now, everything can't. A restaurant can't. Yeah, right. You know, uh, uh, a manufacturing plant can't. you got to be standing at the machine to run the machine. And so if you can't have people work from home, what can you do to redesign work schedules to give them more flexibility? So we went from the standard old five-day week, eight hours, three shifts, to let's go to four days, ten hours. And our retention went way up because it gave people that guaranteed three day weekend, you know, uh, and if you, if they did need to work overtime or wanted to work overtime, that ended up happening on a Friday rather than giving up a Saturday, uh, when they might want to go to their kids' ball game. So we were able to change the shift structure and create some flexibility that they hadn't experienced in manufacturing there before. And that really was attractive to folks. So I think, you know, and we talk about it all the time, what could we do to be creative rather than starting it, you know, one shift is from like six to four and the other one was from four to two. You know, what about the working mom who's dropping her kids off at daycare? Can we do an eight to six or something that spans both shifts or, you know, mm -hmm. an eight to four? You know, so I think that's the thing we talk about a lot. Uh, and I talk with folks in other businesses about a lot is, you know, you're going to have to get really creative in this great resignation environment to give people the flexibility they're looking for in their life that still helps you accomplish your goals. And those old rigid, you know, we got to be here from eight to five, five days a week. You know, that's not going to be compelling. <laughs> so what can we do? And say so we got a mission that we need to accomplish, but still lets people have some personal life too. Yeah. And I'm sure that that's important. Uh, I, I know that's probably important to you. I know you you have uh, three sons, right? Yes, mm -hmm. they're all in their twenties, or is that right? They they are. They're uh, they're out of school now, and yeah. so uh, retired from throwing the baseball with them five nights a week or whatever. But yeah. <laughs> sadly, because I still got the arm, I'd still be good. But they're all busy, so <laughs> you got to find a league or something. Maybe I don't know. That's right. <laughs> No, I, yeah, it's interesting. My, my kids are 15 and 16 now. So my son just started his first job this week and uh, started driving a couple months back or a few months ago now. So, uh, yeah, it's all it all seems to be happening kind of in fast forward now. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, and you see them going through what you one of them I was talking to the other day and he had just been recently promoted to manager and he's like nobody trains you how to manage and i'm like yeah i know <laughs> you kind of screw it up on your own while you figure out who you want to be but there's no class that your company sends you to that makes you a manager you 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 you've got to figure out what kind of leader you want to be and and you know we learned that way uh, i learned like 
like you said early on, we watch the the bad leaders and we decide, do we want to emulate those behaviors because they were successful or do we want to be different than them and create our own success? And that's, um, you know, that's how good or bad, that's how we end up learning to be our own kind of leader along the way. So is he, is he, so he's managing now? That's cool. Yeah, he is. And so, uh, you know, he's, uh, going through all of those, uh, early frustrations and figuring out, you know, how do I motivate people? How do I get them to do what I needed them to do? How do I get them to be accountable for the things they said they would do? And so, um, you don't, there's no class where everybody waves the wand and you walk out ready for that. You just have to go do it. Yeah, no, yeah, you're a hundred percent. All right. I'm going to move to our lightning round. So I got, uh, just a few more questions for you. Complete this sentence. Nice guys and gals finish. Ahead. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> Ahead in the long run, uh, because it may not necessarily, uh, look like the things that, uh, earn you short-term success, particularly in, you know, some of your, uh, harsher, hard-charging type organizations where, where they wouldn't look like they would reward that. But my experience has been you build a lot of loyalty and you build a lot of momentum around you and your career. And so I think it's a, I think it's a good approach. What Patience, some, long run. <laughs> yeah, for sure. What, what, what are some tips on building loyalty? Put others first. Be interested in them. You know, be genuinely interested and curious about others and their goals and their dreams and how to help them. Uh, that's really hard, you know, particularly as you're moving up through the organization and you think, well, I just need people to be loyal to the company. Well, maybe you don't. Maybe you need to be loyal to them and their dreams. And, hey, the best thing for you might not be to work here, and I'll help you figure that out and where you ought to be in a productive and positive way rather than I'm just going to try to keep you trapped. Um, you know, someone may have a dream of owning their own business, you know, being an entrepreneur, doing their doing their own thing, whatever it is. You know, if you really are genuinely interested in them and in helping them, you know, going and meeting with customers that aren't buying anything right now, being genuinely interested in them and building that long-term relationship with them. You know, you'd you know, early on in my career, you'd travel with different salespeople. You'd ask about an account. Well, they're not buying anything right now. I'm like, awesome. That's the best time to go see them <laughs> because yeah. when they're buying something right now, everybody's going to see them. <laughs> so let's go see them when nobody's going to see them and learn about them. And I can't tell you how many relationships I built that were a lot of meetings and a lot of lunches and, and a lot of dinners and building that relationship that might not have turned into any kind of order for years. But then when some crisis hit and that customer was trying to think, who can I trust? They'd call Randy and they'd say, hey, I, I got this big problem and I trust you. Help me solve it. And you, you have to have the genuine interest in others to create those opportunities. Yeah, I like that a lot. And I, I, great advice. What's a nice book that you recommend for the nice makers? A book about being nice? Wow, no, well, see. a book. A, <laughs> a, a, <laughs> probably a business book, maybe, or, or a nonfiction book, perhaps. You know, I think one of the most impactful business books I've given away, and I've probably given away four or 500 copies of it over the years between meetings I've had or people that have given it to is, uh, the Extreme Ownership book by Jocko Willink. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know even my own boys say that's made a big impact in their lives and their careers. 
because you stop blaming and you stop blaming your team. You stop blaming your people and you take it on yourself that I'm going to be the difference. I'm going to make a difference and I'm going to do what it takes to help my team succeed and win. And so I think when, whenever you take that approach of personal accountability and that it's your job to help others succeed and help others win, uh, I find that to be really transformative, you know, in your personal relationships, your business relationships. It's really a, a, a nice way to treat others that, you know, rather than just, Hey, we, we screwed up this month. We had a bad month. Who can I fire? It's, well, I'm the leader. So it was my job. So what can I do to help you be successful? So that mistake doesn't happen again. It's just a different way to look at every challenge. How is Randy nice to himself? Um, I'm pretty hard on myself. <laughs> Probably I'm pretty demanding on myself because I don't want to, uh, not being, stop being adventurous and stop pushing myself to be a risk taker. But I consider nice to myself is that I am pushing myself to get out there and, and do new things and to keep doing the things that keep me, um, healthy. You know, started rock climbing last fall. That was a new thing. I started jujitsu. You know, I'll, I'll go, uh, I'll still go lift weights. I still go run, you know. So I'm always looking for things to make sure that I'm pushing myself to be, uh, in discomfort, you know, that I'm continually learning and trying new things and not getting complacent. And so I think that's, I think that's nice to me. Other people say it's a little nutty, but <laughs> I, uh, I like pushing myself out there to just keep being adventurous. And that slows time, apparently. So, uh, I, I, I had, uh, Ronnie Bennett on my podcast a while back and she was, uh, just this incredible woman. Uh, sadly, she, she's passed away. Um, but she's, she was, we had this long conversation about how she, she was, a, she called herself an elder blogger. And very early on, she started like the first blog for, uh, for elderly people and not saying we're elderly here, but <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that. We're all going to be at some point, but she had talked about, uh, this phenomenon of, you know, as you get older, time tends to start to speed up or it feels like it's speeding up. And, and part of the solution to slowing time down a bit is to try new things and get out of that comfort zone. So she, you know, and uh, I don't know if it was from her or elsewhere that I read, but the idea of like, you know, that, that first kiss, that summer you had when you were a kid that went on forever, that kind of thing. And, and the idea was because you were trying new things that that time went on for so long. And so I think, uh, I think you're onto something with trying new, new things that I should probably be doing a better job of that myself. I hadn't heard that approach, but that's interesting. Uh, I have to think on that. There's just, there's a lot of books out now ar around the value of discomfort and pushing yourself and the growth that comes through that. And so I think, uh, but th she's onto something there that I hadn't thought of. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. So if you had a billboard, what would it say? Believe in yourself and dream and go chase it and go do it. Don't wait, you know. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe don't wait. Just, <laughs> but that, it's one of those things that I always think I don't want to look back in five years and say, boy, I wish I'd tried that, you know, <laughs> right. or get to end a career and say, boy, I wish I'd tried that. I, uh, I just, you know, I don't want, um, the regret of not trying. I'd much rather try, mess up, fix it, <laughs> do it over, do something different, or just say I'm not any good at that than to have never tried. So, 
I think that's one of the things you see today. There's, there's a fair amount, particularly the last couple of years of just fear, discouragement. Don't let those things hold you back from being you and chasing your dreams. Get out there and get after it. I love it. I love it. Randy, thank you so much. It's been awesome chatting with you today. Um, you run a great show called Lessons in Leadership. Tell the folks how to find that and uh, and what to expect. On the uh, on my website, leadershipwithrandy.com, I have uh, YouTube videos of every interview and then also a, a five to six minute highlight video so that a lot of people may not have an hour to listen. So I'll just go edit it down to the five or six big things, five or six minutes of big things that if you didn't get anything else, these things would be awesome to know and remember. And those have been pretty popular that a lot of people like that little five minute version of the high points. And so they're all uh, videos out there. I do it once a week on zoom. Anybody can uh, email me at Randy at leadership with Randy and I'll get you uh, on the invitation list. And it's been really one of the most awesome things I've ever done. I just learned something every week from folks and their journey and the things they've learned along the way. It's really inspiring to me to hear others and what they've done. And, and, and sometimes in just incredibly overwhelming circumstances and they just had the resilience and the grit and the perseverance and the determination and the hard work to push on and achieve anyways. And I look back and I'm like, I, I got no excuses. Just get to work. Just get up and get to work, Randy, <laughs> because your life is so much more blessed than, than what they went through. So don't whine, don't complain, just get up and get to work. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, yeah, I highly recommend it. It's a lot of, a lot of fun. So, and it's uh, very informative. And as you said, yeah, very inspiring too. Well, thank you, sir. It's been a pleasure. Awesome spending time with you, Dave. Look forward to seeing you again sometime. Thanks for listening to the nice podcast. I would love to include your voice on the show. If you have comments or questions regarding this episode or any episode, whether you might have some nice communications tips of your own, visit friend.nicepodcast.co. There, you can record an audio comment, and I expect you'll hear it on an upcoming episode. Theme song is Little Jane May, and the end song is Funny Feeling by Alistair Crystal at alistaircrystal.ca. And we'll see you next time. Be nice. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe.